Today on the show, I cover a couple of recent unseen releases. Uncharted from 2022 and Licorice Pizza from 2021. Alright everyone, welcome to Brandon at Random Reviews. I am your host, Brandon Griffiths. Thank you for stopping by, I do appreciate it. My goodness, I keep reading about these, uh, these shows, This at least one show that's supposed to be coming out that's like a Game of Thrones spinoff. It's supposed to be set way before the events of the original series. You know, I see the promos for it, and it's like I feel absolutely nothing at all. And it's just, it is a tragic thing that happened with Game of Thrones. It's not like it was a bad show on, on the whole. I mean, if I if I took every season, I would say I liked seven out of eight seasons of the show. Some of the seasons were weak or slow, but they weren't bad. They weren't, like, poorly constructed. It's just they didn't have a whole lot of plot to them. So, I don't know. But... When I see them, I think to myself, they're making more of these? Like, are people excited about this? And I look to the comment sections, and of course, they are very much not excited about them. I don't know, like, what success they're hoping to attain by putting out these shows, but they are not... Uh, they're not ones that I think a lot of people are going to like, and I think you need most of the original fans to want more. But when the original fans feel like, you know they kind of got punched in the face on that final season. It's kind of difficult. I mean, so you take the first, I would say like the first four seasons of Game of Thrones are some of the best television that we've ever had. And I I don't watch much television, but I watch enough. And I, I heard that from a lot of people that really felt that way. And it was a really good, you know, well-constructed show. They did a really good job of like making sure that the stories all made sense. The stories all were very compelling and they were very human stories and you could relate to them. And they were just, they were really good. I mean, I really liked them. And then you get to the final season, you know, you get through seasons one through four and it's amazing. And then it kind of has a lull and you get some slowness and then it kind of picks up a little bit in like season six. And Season 7 was very exciting because the anticipation was there. You were like, holy shit, all of this is finally going to culminate in this, you know, this final two seasons. All of the stuff we've been waiting for the entire series, we just didn't know when to expect it. Now we know it's here and it's going to happen. And so, like, the last season, because, like, the seventh season, they did a pretty decent job of, like, starting to deliver on the hype and they really got rolling on it. But... You know, you, you roll into season eight and it's like, holy shit, what is this? You know what I mean? Like th- there were a lot of uh, shitty mistakes in it that, they, you know, like there were scenes where they left like Starbucks cups on the set of this fucking, you know, medieval looking show, you know, and it, it doesn't it didn't really work. And it, you know, wasn't really a good thing to be caught doing, you know, especially when it took them like an additional year to come out with the last season. Like they had so much stuff that they felt like they had to get done for this season that it was like, what are we, what are we doing? You know what I mean? Like what, what were you doing with that extra time? Because you had a shortened final two seasons, you know, they were both like six or seven episodes each. And then you take that. And on top of that, you're like, oh yeah, by the way, you know, we're, we're going to do just about the same amount of everything as we have been doing, but we're just going to say it takes longer, okay? That worked for you? That's good. Okay, so they they wasted entire episodes in the final season building up. They had, you know, like they would have a, they had an entire episode wasted on just like people talking to each other before the battle with the White Walkers. They were just talking. They're just hanging out in anticipation of this battle. And it's like, people aren't here for that. They don't want to fucking hear about these people's stories. They want to fucking see this battle. And for you to not even give them a taste of action is a tad ridiculous, but it is what it is. And you know, the ending, you weren't supposed to want whatever they were going to give you in the ending for Game of Thrones. Trust me on that. There's always that quote of like, if you think this has a happy ending, you haven't been paying attention. But it's it's different to have a, 
an ending that people don't want and have an ending that genuinely pisses people off and like really slaps them all across the face and it's so poorly delivered and it doesn't nothing about it was enjoyable you know what I mean and it was so so terrible like it, you could see it coming in a lot of ways and then other ways it's like okay I guess and you know George R.R. R. Martin the guy who wrote the books he said that he was Basically, after season four, he was pretty much left out of the conversation on, like, what was going to be happening in the show, and he wasn't getting consulted like he had been. So it's like, yeah, I guess I could be, you know, pretty annoyed by that. Like, you know, you want to have the author's input, and I get if you're not going to be able to go exactly where he wants to go, but you want to know that you're still, like, getting his input. You know what I mean? Like, hey, buddy, you know, like, we can't do it exactly like you made it up in the books, but, you know, if we did this, would that make sense, or would we be able to fit that in with that, you know, that jive with what you've written? And he could actually tell them. But, I mean, that's the thing, is they didn't, and so it shows. It shows severely in those final seasons. And, like, now, George R. R. Martin has taken so long, he hasn't even finished one of, you know, the final two books. And it's like, now I don't even, I'm not even going to read them. I'm not even going to give a shit. Because, like, that's the thing. They did such a bad job on the final season of Game of Thrones that it's like, I, I don't even want to watch it, you know? I don't even want to go back and revisit the seasons I did like because it soured my taste for the entire series in just that, you know? Like, I've had opportunities to buy the series for pretty reasonably discounted price like 40 or 50 bucks and I'm like no I don't really think I'll ever watch it again and it's always going to be on HBO so who gives a shit and that's just kind of how I've, I've approached the whole thing is it's like I don't give a shit about Game of Thrones anymore I really don't anytime they talk about it on like these sites like IGN or you know any of these ones that are are entertainment news like nerd websites basically that are like sharing different things about what they're doing with the new Game of Thrones show. It's like, I almost want to hide those people from my feed because I don't want to see those updates. I don't give a shit about who's... I don't know any of the people that are in the fucking new Game of Thrones shows that I know of. And it's like, what you know, I didn't know any of the ones in Game of Thrones for the most part. But like, at least they ended up being good. Now it's like, I have this this burden of like not thinking it's going to be good going in because of what they did with Game of Thrones. And so it's like, why would the spinoff be any better? Why would they change anything? Why would they improve anything? Why would they do anything different? And so it's for that reason, I'm out. And yeah, moving on. Uncharted is our first movie. Released February 18th, 2022. Directed by Ruben Fleischer. He also directed Zombieland, 30 Minutes or Less, Gangster Squad, Venom, and Zombieland Double Tap. Some of the writers on this movie are Rafe Lee Judkins, Art Markham, and Matt Holloway. Producers Charles Roven, Alex Gartner, and Avia Rod, which I think he was the one that was involved in maybe the 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 original Hulk movie, like the the one with uh, Eric Bana. Okay, does that sound does that sound familiar? Okay, anyway, the score for this movie was composed by Raymond Jawadi. Okay, so our lead actor is Tom Holland. You know him as Spider-Man from the Marvel movies. He was in quite a few of those. And he's kind of, you know, he's the guy that's credited with revitalizing that character because of all the shit that Sony did to Spider-Man. It just didn't really work for them. So it was like they they brought in Tom Holland and they, they were like, hey, this guy will work. He's a good, you know, he's a good choice. And he did. He brought like all this personality to it. In this movie, he uh, Tom Holland plays Nathan Drake, and Nathan Drake is, uh, he's the guy, he's the main character in this series of video games called Uncharted, and they have, you know, they have several of these video games. Tom Holland was in, also, aside from Spider-Man, he was in The Impossible, which I need to check out, Cherry, which is, I think, an Apple exclusive one. It's like one you have to have an Apple Plus membership to actually watch. So I don't know when I'll actually be able to watch that. And then he was in The Devil All the Time, which I couldn't even sit through. It was so fucking terrible. I didn't like it at all. Please, please don't ask me to finish that movie. And then we have Mark Wahlberg, who plays the character of Victor Sully Sullivan. And he was, of course, in Boogie Nights and... 
that's a connective tissue motherfucker because, you know, the other movie we're covering has a connective tissue. So, yeah. Um, and then he was in The Fighter, The Departed, Ted, The Italian Job, Lone Survivor, Two Guns, The Other Guys, Max Payne, which is a terrible fucking movie, and so is The Happening, and Shooter, which is a pretty solid movie. It's a little ridiculous, but it's pretty good. Then we've got Antonio Banderas, who plays Santiago Moncada. Uh, he was in The Mask of Zorro, The 13th Warrior, Once Upon a Time in Mexico, Desperado, Interview with a Vampire, and that, I mean, he's been in some other things, you know, he was in a sequel to that Mask of Zorro movie, but like, for the most part, those are the ones I think of when I think of Antonio Banderas. And then Sophia Ali, who I have noted here is hot, and she plays the character Chloe Frazier. She's kind of a relative unknown. I haven't really seen her in anything before. And I uh, was mentally, like, before I looked her up, because I was in the middle of watching the movie and then I saw her on screen, and I kept referring to her as, like, Pakistani Emma Roberts, because that's what she looks like, and that's... Can I just say that's a good thing? You want to be Pakistani, Emma Roberts. And so I'm sorry if I refer to her as that. If I don't think about the name Chloe, I couldn't remember what her name was in the story. So it was like I kept going back to Pakistani, Emma Roberts. So some casting notes. In the early stages of production, Mark Wahlberg, Robert De Niro, and Joe Pesci were all slated to be in the movie with David O. Russell directing the film. Since then, all three and the director dropped out of the project. Wahlberg would later be cast as Sully. Brian Cranston, Jake Gyllenhaal, Chris Pratt, Chris Pine, Chris Hemsworth, Matthew McConaughey, and Woody Harrelson were all supposedly considered for Sully before the role went to Mark Wahlberg. Zachary Levi claimed that he wanted to play the part of Nathan Drake if Tom Holland didn't work out. Okay, I mean, that's that's fair. I, I could see Zach Levi playing this. Okay, so plot synopsis. And I want to first note that this movie is based on the popular video game of the same name from Sony PlayStation. And there's also a brief fan-made skit that was, uh, that starred Nathan Fillion, who is like a nerd favorite. Like a lot of people love Nathan Fillion because he did Firefly and he did like a bunch of other shit. And I love Nathan Fillion. I think he would have been great for this role. I would have probably liked it better, frankly, if he had gotten this role. But what can you do? So basically, I, I don't really have a good plot synopsis for this one. I mean, I can I can definitely read the IMDb plot synopsis which is street smart Nathan Drake is recruited by seasoned treasure hunter Victor Sully Sullivan to recover a fortune amassed by Ferdinand Magellan and lost 500 years ago by the, the house of Moncada. Okay, so we meet our hero. He's just waking up while hanging in midair from some cargo, which is hanging from a plane. And all this, you know, shit's going on. Obviously, it's very exciting to have this happen very quickly early on in the movie. And it's like, he doesn't, you know, he, he's like, you, you don't know why he's asleep. You don't know why he's, you know, his reaction seems a little off. You know, you're just like, what the fuck's going on with this guy? And then all of a sudden, like, once, once you see all of the shit that he's in, in this cargo plane thing, he wakes up. Like, he just wakes up out of nowhere. He's just all of a sudden not on this plane anymore. And it's like, apparently it was like a flashback or something else. We don't really know. And I think, like, they, so they cast Tom Holland. And he's a lot younger than I I get the vibe of the regular Nathan Drake from the video games. You know, like, he, I just think that they cast him a lot younger because they wanted this to be, like, an early on adventure which was a good call, honestly. Like, Tom Holland does an admirable job as this character. You know, he's he's he delivers pretty well on it. And he's it, it's when we see him wake up that all of a sudden, like, he's, he's, you know, like, he's with his brother. He's, like, younger now all of a sudden. And he's, um, they're breaking into a museum. And they're talking about all this shit. And they, they're, like, they're doing this thing where they keep, acting like they're like walking history lectures and I get that they should know the history but like they know the history like a a history professor would know a lecture you know what I mean like that's and it's kind of insane like it doesn't it doesn't sound organic and it doesn't you know it would make more sense to say 
to give like little tidbits and say, yeah, well, this is what happened and this is this and this is that. But they don't really do a great job of that. And the um, the the brother leaves after, you know, like they, they catch him in this museum and they're going to take his brother away. And his brother decides he's going to, you know, not be captured and he's going to, to escape. And so he he sends, you know, he tells Nate he's leaving. He'll come back for him at some point. And, you know, it's basically like a continuing thing that you like never really see that happen in these games. You know, like he doesn't, as far as I know, I've only played a few of them, but like they don't really do, they don't, they don't do anything regarding his character as far as like him actually coming back. Cause I think his brother is supposed to have died. So we're back to, after, you know, after the brother leaves, we get back to regular, normal age Tom Holland, and he is a bartender at a bar. He's hitting on this girl, and he's showing, like, it's funny because it's very clear that Tom Holland is not a good drink maker. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't have that, that smoothness about him, and it's like, you know, it's like you've seen like the movie Cocktail or something, you know, like they, they do all of this smooth shit, like twirling the bottles and shit like that before they pour it. And they don't, you know, he doesn't do any of that in this. It's just pure nonsense. It's like he he's just kind of like wonkily dumping shit into a glass. And then you see, you know, he's talking to this girl and then he goes out and he uh, he he's talking to the girl a little more. She's sitting outside at one of the tables and he's wiping the tables down and he like comes up to her and he's like talking to her more and he like manages to steal her bracelet off of her wrist. And it's like all of a sudden he goes back in and they, you know, he shows us that he got the the bracelet and Mark Wahlberg is sitting there and he offers, um, Nate Drake a job, you know, and Mark Wahlberg's character's name is Sully. And, he just all of a sudden, you know, he's, he's like basically like, hey, I witnessed I witnessed what you just did there where you stole that girl's bracelet. Do you want to come on an adventure with me and fucking do this? And so, you know, there's a little bit of back and forth, but eventually, you know, Nate breaks down and accepts the offer. And, you know, it turns out that Sully knows Nate's brother or knew him at least. He, uh, I mean, there's, there are scenes where it's like, okay, there's a scene where Tom Holland is walking and he's looking on his phone and he's not, he's supposedly not paying attention to what he's doing. And he runs into a doorman and then the doorman like chastises him for not paying attention. You know, Tom Holland's like, oh man, I'm sorry, you know, whatever. And then he walks away and he like flashes the keys that he stole from the doorman to the camera and it's for nobody's benefit but the camera you know what I mean so it's like I guess I mean it would have been it would have been nice if he would have like just like held them in front of him but it's like he did the thing where he drops it down in his hand and it it's like he would have been dropping it in sight of that doorman as far as I could tell and it didn't didn't really make a whole ton of sense I, I make mention of the fact that at this point you know we've already gotten multiple history lectures by Nate Drake and it's just it doesn't feel right. You know what I mean? It's not as good. You know, it's like, it should not be so inorganic that they do it like this, but they do it and they keep having him know all of this shit about Magellan and all this stuff. And it's like, all right, whatever you want to do, bud. Then we get Antonio Banderas when they have to break into this, uh, this building to steal these crosses that are to be there to be used as keys, I guess. And they're like, they're in this building. They're, they're trying to break in. They're trying to steal what they need to steal and move on. And I would say like, at this point, we're still pretty well on par with the video game. Like it's not exactly like any of the other ones, but it's its own story. So it's like, I would say I wouldn't have many complaints at this point in regards to how close to the video game it is. And I really enjoy the video games. It's just, I'm not a big video gamer. So I don't, I don't know the stories as well. I just remember liking the stories. And they they go when they go to this place there's this James Bond-esque cocktail bar type thing going on. There's a chick, you know, like Sully and Drake are are at the fucking bar and they see this chick from across the way and she it's this black girl and she's got like really short hair and it looks like it's like 99% gel and like it and it's like bleach blonde and it's just, it does not look good on her. Like, I don't even, 
I don't know what hairstyle I would prefer to see, but it's just, it's not this one, you know? it's I don't know what they were going for with it. It would be better if it was like she, she at least just had black hair. Like I would have, I mean, she wouldn't have stood out as much, but she would have been, she would have looked a lot nicer, I think. And so apparently that chick is bad news. And then we get Antonio Banderas. And so they're there and they're going to bid on this, this cross and they're going to, you know, they want to get it so they can get this treasure that, you know, this Magellan treasure. I, I did rather enjoy this scene because Drake is on. So Tom Holland's character, I'm going to call him Drake because that's really, I think, what they call him in the video games. So, like, Drake is on his, he's got an earpiece in and he's talking to Mark Wahlberg, Sully, and he is, you know, he's, he keeps saying stuff and he keeps, like, reaching up and putting his finger to his ear and Mark Wahlberg straight up calls him out and says, don't touch your ear like that. You look like a fucking idiot. And it's a nice little take because there's like a, a, a moment in the beginning of Casino Royale with Daniel Craig, the James Bond movie, where the guy keeps doing that and it basically gets them in trouble because people figure out that they're there, you know, like they're supposed to be secretly in there. And so it's like, I thought it was pretty cool they did that. And then at this point in the movie, I, I'm asking myself, where is the super hottie that I'm supposed to fall in love with, right? Because, I mean, she's nowhere to be seen at this point. Where is the woman that is the woman of my dreams, you know what I mean? And this guy with this super thick Scottish accent says, shouldn't have come here to play with the big boys, Wien? Because you're about to become a pro... A be <laughs> because you're about to get a proper Scottish welcome. And he said, But he says it, and it's so completely incoherent it's like you can't even understand what he's saying and like they kind of make a joke about it you know that he's not he's not somebody that you can understand and basically the bad girl she tries to steal the loot from the heist you know the where they they got the key and everything the, the cross key and it's like she she tries to steal it but she kind of like has some bad luck and like these guys stop her and Sully is able to take the loot away. And it's not like, it's like she almost immediately disarms these guys that stop her and like takes them out. And like Sully doesn't start running or anything. He just fucking does what he does, you know? It doesn't really look, it it, it doesn't seem believable. But uh, after after this whole sequence, after he gets the cross key, they go and they, they meet with this girl that they know, that, that Sully knows, and... She is the one, she looks like Pakistani Emma Roberts, and she is good looking. I will say that. She is, she has this interesting accent. I can't tell if it's like New Zealand or, it's, it doesn't suit like, I'm not, I've, I've seen, you know, many a celebrity and many different accents on different, you know, ethnicities of people. And like, this one didn't jive in my mind as like making sense for the character, but you know, what can you do? So Chloe, Pakistani Emma Roberts, she tries to steal the cross key from them. She steals it from Drake and, and they go on this big drawn out chase scene, which is pretty awesome. It's, it's a pretty solid chase scene. And then they have this book that they keep referencing throughout the movie that it's like, basically you see it and it's all of a sudden just, it's like, they're looking through it and it's supposed to be this super old book, but it looks like one of those like really expensive novelty books that are made to look like they're super old, but are not super old. And like, that's what it looks like. And I get that that's probably hard to, uh, it's probably hard to accomplish that as a prop master, you know, to like actually get a good book that would look like 500 years old. So at the end of this whole, the at the end of the whole chase thing though, with, you know, Chloe is, you know, she basically like feels like she's got, she can get away. She's good to go. She's in her car. She is able to, you know, use this upper hand moment she's got. And she fucking realizes like they keep telling her basically that she doesn't know where the fuck she's going. She doesn't know what she's going to do. And they do, they know where to go. And if they would just team up with her, it'd be fine. And all of them are telling each other not to trust one another and not to be better. And, you know, it's just, it, it's just kind of like a, a thing, I guess. I mean, they're just, they're just not trustworthy. They're, 
you know, they're tomb raiders and stuff. So they find in this book that where they need to go is like a tree, but it's not really a tree. It's like, it's this church that has a tree as a symbol. So they go there. Sully warns Nate not to get involved with Chloe because of how she's behaved thus far, which is totally fair. Like she hasn't done anything to earn trust or to to develop that interaction, that relationship. And, you know, so he has like no business doing it, but he's still considering it, obviously, because he also doesn't trust Sully. So, so we get a little bit of Antonio Banderas and this Tati Gabrielle character this um her name's joe braddock in the movie but basically they're just the two bad guys for us and like antonio banderas and her kill this this bigger bad guy you know and they they want to take it for take everything for themselves and i would say i would say my biggest gripe about this movie to this point is like they keep doing scenes where they're you know breaking into things or you know like they're they're doing the ancient ruins and they're they're trying to figure out how they work and what the mechanisms are and they like never get those puzzles right in these movies they never make them like the video games they always do it so it's like oh so i just put this here and i know that that's what will work and i do this and it will work you know and it's like voila you know and i would say like you know we keep we keep getting this back and forth between sully and drake and like Sully's likable enough, you know, everybody's, everybody's pretty well likable, it's just they're, you don't know where you stand with them, and they, they just keep, like, it seems like they're laying groundwork for this love story between Drake and Chloe, but they, I don't know, they don't ever really pay off on it completely, and they, you know, Chloe and Drake go, they're at this bar, they're trying to find this, you know, where to use the keys, and they're, like, going to, you know, great lengths to distract from what they're doing and they like start a fire in front of the bar and they just like immediately jump over the bar and I'm like okay like I guess like it it seemed a little convenient that everybody was all hands on deck for this fire and they don't have any fucking idea what these people are doing that are jumping over the bar they don't seem to care at all and it's like wouldn't that kind of tip you off that something was awry and there's so like we keep getting the two of them they're doing all of this stuff and then Mark Wahlberg is doing his own thing and he's getting held up by you know by this Joe Braddock girl and she is um she holds him up and she demands that he give her the cross key and when he goes to hand it to her it's that old cliche of like oh I'm gonna like do a bad job handing it to you and make it fall to the ground so that you have to reach down and get it while I'm standing there. And it's like, why don't you, if you're the person with the gun, take two steps back and say, pick up the cross, you know, pick it up off the ground and fucking set it over here. And then I will, you know, have you move away from there while I go over to get it or so. You know what I mean? Just do something smarter than just, yep, I'm just going to jump down and get this thing. And... Mark Wahlberg actually, like, after he pulls that trick on her, he, like, does the stupid thing where he, like, looks down to pick up the cross again, like, two seconds later, and it's like, are you fucking serious, dude? And, and they're, like, they, they keep, they're using, like, earpieces and stuff to talk to Sully, but it's, like, it, I, they don't call enough attention to it. It's, like, do they, reli- like, literally just have earpieces in the entire fucking movie and that's what i'm supposed to believe it, it was at this point in the movie that i actually went to the trouble to look up what pakistani emma roberts's name was which was chloe and i mean we get a scene where where she punches drake out you know chloe does and she she does it like cold on the first fucking punch and i'm like are you serious like i i don't even know that a trained boxer could do that that easily like it, it happens but it's like, I'm not buying it. Like, it just, it didn't look like it was that well struck of a blow. And Sully just kind of, you know, at, at one point tells, you know, because like she double cross, like the reason she's punching Drake is because she's double crossing him. And then she goes and like, she leaves and Sully just sort of finally tells Nate what's going on with his brother. And, you know, he kind of explains what happened to him and he brought Nate along just in case he knew anything is basically his explanation and 
they like long story short they they eventually find the gold and the the bad guys are like super close by it's like they find all of this gold in these fucking barrels and they've got like false tops in them so they look like they've got shit in them that isn't valuable and so Nate figures that out and then like takes the fucking tops off of them and and shows all the gold that's in them and they basically like they realize the bad guys are there they're on this fucking abandoned wooden ship of Magellan's and they realize the bad guys are there so they climb under the deck boards and they are hanging out under there and one of the bad guys writes it off to say that they must have just filled their pockets and ran away and it's like what like you honestly think that they went all that way without any game plan on like how they were gonna get the shit out of there like come the fuck on like i i don't buy that for a fucking minute and wouldn't you just kind of assume if 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 they went and they didn't take everything, wouldn't you think that maybe they were looking for something more specific, you know? I, I don't know. Maybe maybe that's dumb. I, I have no idea. So they airlift the, the... There's two ships, and they airlift them out of the, the caves that they're in. And the ships are, you know, really old, and they're kind of in ruins, and they're... They're lifting them with helicopters. I just, I don't have a firm grasp of what helicopters can lift. Like, I've seen helicopters in movies lift things that I thought, no, 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 no. There's no fucking way on God's green earth that this fucking thing is possibly going to happen. I don't really understand why they're trying to make me believe this. So they, they end up on these these ships that are, you know, they're in midair and they're fighting on these ships and it could not look more like a set that they're just standing on. Like there's nothing I, I mean I get like okay if they're they're suspended by a helicopter, like it might not be like bouncing them around, but it would certainly be windy as shit up there. Like I don't care who you are You've got the helicopter going, you got the the air, the open air, all that shit. I mean, it's just it doesn't it doesn't feel real at all. Like they don't even put some fucking fans to Tom Holland's hair to make him look like he's blowing in the breeze. Basically, like there's a part in and I forgot, like I had seen it, but I forgot that that was what the story was, but basically like Nathan Drake finds out that you know, like, where he can find the gold that he's looking for. And he's with Chloe at the time, but she's sleeping. And he goes to tell her where it is, and then he decides against it, and he just leaves her with, like, a wild goose chase of an idea of where to find him. And so she's not there, like, the entire final scene, like, the whole chase and all that stuff. And it's like she just kind of shoehorned in at the end, which, in retrospect, was pretty shitty like I would have liked for her to have been a bigger part of this this final sequence because she had been there for so much of it but they elected not to do that so she just kind of shows up in a speedboat while they're flying away in a helicopter and they're like oh right her ha 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 I I would say as far as praise for this movie I think the cast was solid I think they did a really good job with that uh they it did feel like it was like another uncharted plot. You know, it wasn't a rehashing of an existing one. It was like a new uncharted plot, and it was pretty solid. There were a lot of really cool action-adventure sequences, a lot of excitement and, you know, crazy stuff going on. I mean, it's it's tough to top what we've already done in Hollywood, but I understand. It's like if people are not as impressed, I get that. But criticism-wise, uh, it felt like a bit of a generic Indiana Jones ripoff, but that's only because Indiana Jones fucking owns this genre of, like, tomb raiding and, you know, adventure and all that. Like, I mean, just, he, nobody does it better than Indiana Jones. I I realize Indiana Jones was derivative of a bunch of other things, but it's like, Indiana Jones did it best, you know what I mean? There were, obviously, as I mentioned, some tired cliches here and there. They weren't fucking amazing. They could have done a whole lot better on those, but they were just... I don't know. I don't know what they were, you know. I I wish they could have just gotten away from that, but they didn't. So it was a tad predictable at times. You know, it was just not... It was not as good as I wanted it to be in a lot of ways. A little bit of trivia. So Nolan North is the voice actor for Nathan Drake in the video games. Played a hotel guest lounging in a beach chair when he is approached by Tom Holland's version of the character. When he confronts Holland about his appearance... He, apply, he replies that he fell out of a car that fell out of a plane 
and North responds that something similar happened to him once. This is a subtle nod to his performance in Uncharted 3, Drake's Deception, which the cargo plane sequence in the film is based upon, which I do remember that from the, the video games. And then an IMDb nugget for us all. After entering the church, Santa Maria del Pai, Nathan Drake says, Nuns. Why is it always nuns? This is very similar to the Indiana Jones quote, Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? From Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Another action movie about hunting ancient relics and treasures. So, nuns, why is it always nuns? And snakes, why did it have to be snakes? I guess. Jeez, oh, Pete's. Runtime, 116 minutes. Budget, $120 million. Worldwide gross, $401.7 million, which I was pretty surprised by. I didn't realize it was that successful. Uh, IMDb rating, 6.4. Rotten Tomato critic score, 41%. Rotten Tomato audience score, 90%. Personal rating, 4 out of 5 stars. I did enjoy this one quite a bit, even though I did have the problems. I try not to be overcritical about things like that because it is what it is. I mean, even though it feels like an Indiana Jones ripoff, it's still a pretty well-made movie and it's a it's a pretty good constructed plot and all that stuff. So now we have Licorice Pizza, released on November 26, 2021, directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, who directed such movies as Boogie Nights, Punch Drunk Love, There Will Be Blood, Inherent Vice, The Master, Magnolia, which I need to see, and Phantom Thread, which I need to see. Paul Thomas Anderson also wrote this movie. Johnny Greenwood was the composer on the uh, the soundtrack, and apparently he's a frequent collaborator with Paul Thomas Anderson. And I will refer to him, if I refer to him again, it'll be P.T. Anderson, because that's just how I reference him. Johnny Greenwood is actually the lead guitarist and keyboardist of Radiohead. First and foremost in the cast, we have Alana Haim, who plays Alana in the movie. And this is her big screen debut. And then Cooper Hoffman was second billed as, uh, he's actually the son of the late Philip Seymour Hoffman. He plays the character Gary. And this is also his big screen debut. Sean Penn is in this movie. He plays Jack Holden. And, you know, you know him from like Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Mystic River, Milk, Dead Man Walking, which I need to see, Gangster Squad, I Am Sam, The Game, Carlito's Way. I mean, he's been in a fuck ton of shit. I mean, just a lot of really good stuff. Tom Waits, the musician, plays Rex Blau in this movie. And... He was in, I mean, he's mostly a musician, but he's been in some movies before. He was in Seven Psychopaths, The Book of Eli, Domino, and Coffee and Cigarettes. Bradley Cooper makes a surprise appearance in this movie. He plays John Peters, and you know him from A Star is Born, Silver Linings Playbook, American Sniper, American Hustle, Rocket in the uh, Marvel movies. He's also in Limitless, The Hangover, and he was... His first big movie, I think, was Wedding Crashers, which he plays like the dickhead boyfriend of Rachel McAdams. Another person that's in this movie is Mary Elizabeth Ellis, who I only know. She she plays Gary's mom in this movie, but she she's only familiar to me as the waitress from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Like, that's immediately what I think of when I see her. Um... Okay, so basic plot synopsis, and it doesn't get much more basic than this. A boy in his mid-teens falls for a girl in her mid-twenties during the mid to early 1970s. Okay, so as I mentioned, it's set in the 70s. I'm, I, I really like the interaction that we see between... It's like an immediate thing, like Gary is waiting in line for school pictures, and Alana walks by him, and he starts, like, putting the moves on her. And she's clearly, like, older than it. Like, I mean, honestly, they don't really look that much older than one another. You know, like, they don't look that that drastically uh, of an age gap, you know? Like, I, I don't know. It's like he's showing that he's he's got some game. He's, he's, you know, he's putting the moves on her, as I said. And I kept thinking as I was watching this, I'm like, Jesus, these period pieces must be so expensive to shoot. Like, you you gotta buy everything, you know what I mean? You gotta, you gotta fucking figure out where you can do all of this 70s related stuff and just go about it like that, I guess. I mean, I don't know. But he finds out, you know, because he's an actor. He's like an amateur actor. 
and he's been in a bunch of stuff. And he, you know, basically his mom tells him that she can't go on his press tour with him. And so he takes, you know, he invites Alana to be his chaperone and she comes. And while she's on the plane, she meets this guy that Gary knows. That's like one of his co-stars as, you know, his name's Lance. And he, her and uh, him begin dating which drives Gary up the fucking wall. And we get a little glimpse of, of what Gary does in his acting life, you know, how he how he auditions, what he, you know, how he interacts with people. And he, you know, he's, he's always like buddy-buddy with everybody. And then his mouth gets him in trouble. Like, he, he makes these jokes that are, like, terrible, you know, like, not things you should put on TV, you know what I mean? He, he, makes, he makes jokes in interviews and stuff that are just severely inappropriate and I mean it's so so very obvious that he's like in love with Lana because she's just you know I don't know if it's like the whole thing of like unattainable you know like uh, you know if it's off limits all of a sudden it becomes desirable to you or whatever but I mean it's like but anyway so just knowing that Alana is dating Lance is killing Gary and eventually Lance and Alana break up because uh they're like at this dinner with Alana's family and her her family is apparently Jewish and they find out at this dinner even though they thought Lance was Jewish they find out that he's not Jewish so he's like not really I don't know how to explain it it's like he doesn't it's like he he basically says that he's an atheist you know and he just he doesn't he, he was born Jewish but he's not a Jewish person anymore he's just an atheist and so they get all up in arms which I'm always kind of like yeah okay I mean like does it really matter that much like you you have to believe this you know like you have to really but I guess I won't dive into that that's uh for more religious talk uh check out my sister podcast also hosted by me called don't cross me by Brandon Griffiths now I um I think at one point, we are, we are at this expo, and John C. Riley is there dressed as Herman Munster, and it's kind of like a low-key, you know, cameo appearance. And it's pretty funny, though. It, he does a really good job. And Gary has, like, gotten into this waterbed selling business, and he's just fucking selling them like crazy. He doesn't really seem like he... Nobody knows what they are, it seems like, but they're... He's, he's trying to sell them as best he can. And Alana sees him at this expo... And she reveals that she's broken up with Lance. And suddenly, like out of nowhere, while they're at this expo and Alana and him are talking, these two cops rush Gary and fucking, you know, take him down and they put handcuffs on him and stuff and they take him away. And you don't really know what the fuck's going on. And it turns out that he's just like being falsely accused of having been a, you know, like he matches the physical description of a murderer or something. And so they... They arrest him and then they like quickly let him go. I said at this point, I was realizing that Alana Haim was what some might refer to as my speed, which I've had, I had a guy that I work with tell me one time, he was like, do you know this girl? You know, and he said her name and, and I was like, no, I don't know who that is. And he goes, she could be your speed. She, she might be your speed. You know, you should, should talk to her. And I'm like, okay. And of course, I go to look, I go and see this girl and I'm like, get the absolute fuck out of here. Like, no, like if, if you think that that is my speed, that is grossly insulting to me. And it's at this point that, um, I, I realized that this movie would not work with the roles reverse, you know, like they would not put, uh, an older man with a 15 year old woman, you know what I mean? In, in a movie in this day and age, they could never pull it off. And apparently PT Anderson got a lot of flack for making this, the movie, the basis of the movie. And I mean, it is what it is, you know, it's shit like that happens. So it's not like it, it shouldn't be made into a movie as long as you don't have them doing anything that they don't legally, you know, aren't legally able to do. I don't really know, you know, within reason what the problem is. And it's at this point that Alana is like now a part of Gary's business and they go to this Japanese restaurant to work out a deal with like advertising at the, at the restaurant. Cause like Gary knows the owner and 
Alana learns a little tidbit in the bathroom about Gary's love life and what he does, and she gets kind of annoyed with him because of this. And it's like, it's weird because it's like she's constantly trying to play the I'm not interested in you, I'm too old for you card with Gary. And it's like, he doesn't, I don't know. I mean, he does, he, she, she's still totally into him. You can just fucking tell he's, she's totally fucking into him. She tries, so Alana is like working, trying to sell, like do cold calls over the phone where she's trying to sell water beds. And she basically like, isn't like Gary thinks she's not being sexy enough when she does it. And so she, you know, just kind of acts like it's completely reasonable. Like, you know, I mean. To, to tell her to be sexier while she's talking on the phone. And so she does, and then she sells one, but she sells it in a way that Gary doesn't approve of. And like, all he was basically telling her was to be more se- sexy about the way you say the script, not like completely go off script. And that's, that causes a rift between them. And apparently they go to an agent, which and they're telling the agent that like Alana is saying that she can do all of these fucking things that she really can't do, but Gary told her to say yes, that she could do everything. She could speak like four languages and ride horses and do this, that, and the other thing. And it's like, it doesn't really make any sense to have her do that. But I, I guess it, you know, it's one way to get, you know, get apart. And they're, they're both so jealous of each other all the time. And you just keep seeing this like inevitable jealousy going on. And, and they're like selling the waterbeds. And one of them says that they're really good for your back. And I was like, I don't think waterbeds are good for your back. Are they? Or is that like just a thing that they used to say when they didn't know that they were bad for your back? And I'm just like, you know, multiple times throughout the movie, I was like trying to figure out what kind of girl that was Alana's age. Cause she's supposed to be 25 in this movie. And, and she's like 28 in real life in this movie. But like she she's hanging out with these 15 year old boys and stuff. And it's like, what girl does that? Like this girl could do better. You know what I mean? She could, she could certainly make it a point of like finding a guy her own age or older and do a lot better. But she's like at one point wearing a bikini around a showroom. And it's like, she clearly kind of like likes the attention. And I guess that would be it. Like that'd be why she'd hang out with those guys. But it's just, it's not a good look. And then it's like, she, they just keep acting like they they don't want anything to do with each other and then they they act jealous of each other and they just it drives me absolutely nuts and it's at this point we finally get Sean Penn uh the the introduction of the the gas shortage and they realize that the water beds that they're selling are made of you know oil byproducts and they aren't going to do well if they have to keep selling water beds then we get Bradley Cooper who plays John Peters in this movie, who is an actual real guy. And Cooper has this very serious conversation with Gary before leaving him. And like the kids are going to assemble the waterbed there while, while Bradley Cooper is away. And he's basically telling him like, if you fuck anything in my house up, I will fucking kill you or whatever. And you know, this is the same John Peters that dated Barbara Streisand and was like, he went from being her hairdresser to a noted film producer and stuff. So, I mean, it's it's pretty wild. Uh, Alana's character, she just, she's gotta be too immature. Like, that's gotta be the reason that she's doing this because it's like, it doesn't make any logical sense to me. And like, they, they keep having this back and forth, but of course, you know, at the end of the movie, they end up together. They're just gonna, you know, they're, they're gonna work it out and make it happen. And it's like, okay, I guess. And it's over with, you know, some of the, some of the highlights of the movie. I mean, the cinematography is amazing. A lot of the the shots are really cool. The two lead actors are really good actors. I mean, especially for having done nothing before, they just don't, I mean, they're just, they're not familiar. So you don't really think about it, but then you got, you know, all these other guys like the Sean Penns and the Bradley Coopers and, you know, even Tom Waits, they're all pretty fucking solid in this movie. And I got to say that that's, it's pretty fucking solid criticism. I would just say the plotting of the movie, just the way it's laid out is like, it doesn't feel like a coherent story. And I realize that's kind of PT Anderson's thing. Like he likes to do stories that are not conventional formulaic stories. He'd rather have things kind of just be one one thread after another without ever really getting closure, but it's like, that is how he ends it, basically. And so, apparently, Leonardo DiCaprio's father is, and that's George DiCaprio, he portrays the man who sells Gary the first waterbed, and then 
Alana's family is portrayed by her real-life family members. She and her sisters are members of the band Haim, which is a Grammy-nominated rock band. And this also mentions, I just thought it was interesting because I think I've heard this before, but like basically LA had banned pinball as like a low-level form of gambling from 1939 to 1973. So that's pretty fucking crazy. Licorice Pizza is slang for vinyl record and is the name of a record store chain. John Peters tells Gary he's from the streets multiple times. This is likely a reference to a famous story Kevin Smith has told about Peters when Smith was pitching his take on the failed Superman Lives Despite living in a lavish mansion, he repeated the saying to Smith multiple times. And I was just watching that over again. And that is well worth it. If you Google Kevin Smith Superman and just watch that video, it's about like 20 minutes. He tells a story about, you know, his experience with trying to write the, a new Superman story in the late 90s. So one of the IMDb nuggets I found was... When Alana and Gary are reading newspapers as President Nixon delivers an address about the oil crisis, Gary looks at an ad for the pornographic film Deep Throat before glancing at Alana. This is both a sly nod to Gary's attraction to Alana and a sly nod to the Watergate scandal that was engulfing Nixon's White House and had reached a fever pitch at the time this film is set in the fall of 1973. Runtime, 133 minutes, budget, 40 million, worldwide gross, 33 million. I knew it was not, it wasn't released very widely. It was, you know, I I didn't go see it in theaters because it took so long for it to come out that I just didn't bother. Uh, IMDb rating, 7.2, Rotten Tomato critic score, 91%, Rotten Tomato audience score, 65%, personal rating, three out of five stars. Yeah, that's right. I enjoyed it, but it just didn't come together as a good enough story. It just didn't feel like a cohesive plot that it was like, I, I, I didn't get anything from it. It was, it was enjoyable in a fleeting way, but it didn't really do much for me. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening today. I appreciate your time. And as always, you know, I don't know why I say this at the end of every episode, but let me know if you have any ideas for movies you'd like me to cover and I'll try and uh, consider, you know, actually using them. And all right. Thank you very much. And you guys have a good rest of your day. Goodbye. Brandon at Random Reviews is performed, written, directed, produced, and edited by Brandon Griffiths. Theme music is performed by Augusto Diniz from Fiverr. 